How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On NBA, the local angles on the biggest stories is what makes the Locked On Podcast Network your place to get all of the biggest news and the NBA is blowing up. So Locked On NBA is going to put out a bunch of episodes this week with all the free agency news, whatever big stories break, and we're going to touch and stop by on the ground with the teams, with our local hosts. Today, we'll stop with Lucas Hand. Blake Griffin was the big story out of the Clippers. What really went down between CP3 and the Clippers that made them go where they are right now. Part number two of the story will be going to the Pelicans with Jake Madison on Drew Holiday's deal and where the Pelicans stand and what other options they might have had. And finally, we'll stop by with Locked on Thunders, Fred Katz, to get the story on Paul George and how it fits with Russell Westbrook. The biggest stories of the NBA from the local angles right here on the Locked on Podcast Network. And today's show, as always, is brought to you by SeatGeek, our title sponsor on the Locked On Podcast Network. SeatGeek has been with us from the beginning. Download the SeatGeek app right now, and it will give you the best, most economical, easiest way for you to get tickets to any sporting event, concert, summer event, baseball game, whatever it might be. And why do you want that SeatGeek app on your phone? Because SeatGeek's compiling all the tickets from everywhere around your area or whatever event it is, getting them all in one spot for you. Then they give every ticket a ticket score for you. So if you don't know the stadium, you don't know where you're going, I've got a concert I want to go to see on Thursday, July 13th, so I have it marked. They're keeping me updated on what the tickets are. I've got a ticket alert on it for me and what it's going to cost me, and I've got a great deal right now, and they tell me that my ticket score is the best deal. It gives them the ticket score on it and what I might do right now to buy two tickets to see. In my case, it's Amos Lee. So that's why. You get all the tickets from all the areas. You get a ticket score on everyone, and then when you buy it, it's secured. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you will get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. Tick promo code LOCKED. You get a promo, a $20 rebate on your first purchase. All right. Biggest stories of the NBA from the local angles with the guys who know the teams the best. We're going to start it off in Los Angeles with Locked on Clippers. And before we jump out there, do let me remind you one other thing. Anytime a major story breaks, you can go to our Audio Boom NBA channel and find the local angle and go grab that podcast. So Locked on Clippers will give you more. Locked on Pelicans will give you more. Locked on Thunder will give you more. You can also subscribe to the NBA channel. If you want to know about the Spurs signing Patty Mills, Jeff Garcia's done a nice job on that at Locked on Spurs. So you can get any of those at the NBA channel on Audio Boom or search for any of our Locked on podcasts. We'll go to L.A. for our first stop. Lucas Han is the host of Locked on Clippers. Blake Griffin signs the major deal. Five years maxed out all the way. 
let's start there, Lucas. Locked on Clippers host. You're comfortable with a five-year max deal for a guy that's missed 33% of his games over the last three years? Well, it's not ideal. And you can tell that it's not ideal because the Clippers were talking for weeks with Blake Griffin about a four-year deal or a potential pay cut. But then they ended up basically, especially after losing Chris Paul, Steve Ballmer sort of stepped in and said, you've got to retain this guy. We don't want to go back to complete irrelevancy, a total rebuild. So we're going to give him this fifth year of the contract, even if it's not ideal, so that we have someone to build around for the next couple of years instead of totally starting from scratch. I'm watching this from 30,000 feet. This is why you guys are so great on the Locked On Podcast Network because you're in the trenches and follow it every second. Tell me if this take is totally crazy. From 30,000 feet, my feeling during the Jazz Clippers series talking to some people was that Blake was gone, that he had decided that he was gone. Is there any chance that the Clippers knew that and decided we will keep Blake Griffin instead of Chris Paul and basically in that meeting with Chris Paul, let that be known, and that's why he went to Houston all the talk since has been good marketing, has been appropriate respect to a great player like Chris Paul, but the Clippers actually got put in a position where they had to choose between Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, and they chose Blake Griffin. Is that nuts, or is there a possibility that's true? I think it might be overstated a little bit. You know, there's there's always tension in these locker rooms, especially a team like the Clippers, that they've had such high pressure placed on them for the last really six years together and they've routinely fallen short. So there's always going to be some amount of tension. But I think that ultimately what we've seen with Chris and Blake, even when they're not getting along very well, is that they know that they're what's best for each other. So was it a little easier of a choice for Blake Griffin to resign, knowing that Chris Paul was gone and that tension was lifted a little bit? I think so. Would he have come back anyway? I still think so, because I think that he's smart enough to know that from a basketball perspective, it's worth whatever spats the two may have had. Now, flipping it to the front office's perspective, while they might not have been put in a position by Blake Griffin or Chris Paul that it's one or the other of the two of us, I think that the front office may have felt that in order to build the kind of team that can compete going forward, they wouldn't be able to have both of these guys making 30-plus million going forward. So they may have felt pressure just from a monetary standpoint to pick one to build around so that they can kind of refresh the group. And that's what we're seeing them try to do in free agency, kind of refresh this team with a new core around Blake Griffin. Maybe they felt like it wasn't wise financially to keep both, but I don't think that from a locker room perspective, it was necessary that one or the other depart. So from that, Lucas, had Chris Paul been offered the super max, do you think he would have taken it? I do, but I think that very early on, the Clippers made it clear that they weren't comfortable with the fifth year on that contract and whether they would have caved eventually or not because they did the same thing with Blake Griffin. They came into the room saying, we really only want to do four years. And then they caved and gave him five. Maybe they would have caved for Chris Paul eventually, but I just think that Chris Paul, while he would have been open to returning, was not quite as determined to return as Blake Griffin was. You know, Blake Griffin does all of his TV stuff, all of his comedy stuff 
in L.A., I think it's very important for him to be in Los Angeles. So even though he may not have been thrilled that the Clippers originally came in with a four-year offer, he was willing to sort of make up and take them back when they came back with the full max. Chris Paul, it's very possible that the original notion that they weren't going to give him the fifth year basically told him, I'm not wanted here, and he chose to leave immediately without giving them a chance to respond and step up their offer. I don't know if he'd given them a chance. I don't know if he gave them a chance, or if he did, I don't know if they would have been willing to invest that or not. Jerry West said, even from his introductory press conference, that he didn't want to give long-term money where it would be unwise. And I think that paying a 37-year-old Chris Paul $48 million, no matter how much he helps your team now, it's probably unwise to commit $48 million to him when he's 37. And from what I've heard, Jerry West was the main one. Because that's a really gutsy move to make, to go to a guy like Chris Paul and say, we're not going to give you the full max. And I'm not sure that Doc Rivers, with what he's done with this team in the last half decade, had the guts to really step up to Chris Paul and say that, but Jerry West did. And so I think that sort of that movement in the Clippers front office was largely a product of Jerry West saying, no, we're going to play the smart long-term financial game. I think it's a smart move, frankly. Uh, And I think you summed it up there. I would phrase it this way. What we found is that the Clippers were willing to cave to Blake Griffin and might not have been willing to cave to Chris Paul. Yeah, and I would even say, just from my perspective, you know, and I've talked about this on Lost on Clippers for the last month plus, the last two years of that contract for Chris Paul are scary. And I actually talked with Sean Woodley from Locked on Raptors because we were comparing the Chris Paul-Kyle Lowry situation, and we were both kind of agreeing that the last two years of those big 35% max contracts for these aging guards are very, very scary. Now, if I was in the office... I think that I would have, you know, sort of pinched my nose, even though it was kind of a stinky deal, and just given him the full max. I probably would have been too scared to risk losing Chris Paul. But maybe that's the type of swagger and confidence you get with how the Clippers organization has been rebuilt with guys like Doc Rivers and Lawrence Frank and now Jerry West, Steve Ballmer footing the bill. Maybe they're confident enough now. Apparently they are confident enough now to stand up and say, we're not going to do something that we think will hurt long-term. But I think it's, you know, for better or for worse, you sort of have to commend that it's incredibly gutsy of them to not to kind of stick to their principle if they thought that the five-year deal was a bad thing instead of caving under the pressure of potentially losing a star. As they sit right now, where do you think the Clippers rank in the West? I really think it's hard to put a pulse on it. Until we get a little more resolution, they're still in the running for guys like Danilo Gallinari. They were going after Andre Iguodala, but it sounds like now he'll probably return to the Golden State Warriors after his meeting with the Houston Rockets. Golden State's upping their offer. They also have a meeting today, Saturday, with Joe Ingles from the Utah Jazz. I don't know exactly what they'd be able to put on the table that Utah wouldn't just match because he's a restricted free agent, but... I think once we see if the Clippers are able to land sort of a marquee small forward, then we'll be able to put a better idea of what they have going into next season. If they don't land a guy like Gallinari and maybe Luke Mbamute is back as a small forward next season, 
I think the team is obviously a lot weaker, especially because they sort of need that offensive boost at the small forward position to make up for losing Chris Paul. And finally, uh, actually, I think that wraps it up. You answered both questions at once. Lucas Han, <laughs> nice job. Locked on Clippers is the show. Great recap of what's going on with what was the first big story of NBA free agency here on Locked on NBA. All right, our second big story was the deal to Drew Holiday by New Orleans. Drew Holiday's agent is a master. This is exactly how a good agent should play something, and let's see whether the Pelicans are pleased with it. Let's go to host Locked On Pelicans. Jake Madison does fabulous work here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and Jake, just watching it from above, and that's why we talk to you guys, same reason we talk to Lucas. You guys know what's going on on the grounds. It's the big stories covered by the local angles, and I just thought the agent was brilliant. Meet with him at 12.01. All, you have no choice but to give me the max. You don't give me the max. I'm now going out on the marketplace. And I thought the Pelicans just had no wiggle room. I'm not sure it's a good deal. In fact, I'm pretty certain it's a bad deal. Uh, but I, I I thought the Pelicans had no room, and they it was they were played uh, perfectly by the agent. How do you see it? You know, so it's not a max deal. He, it's, it's five years, $126 million. The max would have been uh, five years, 176 So it could have been a whole lot worse. But make no mistake, this isn't a great deal for the Pelicans. They really had no other option. And Jason Bullshon, his agent, did a great job of parlaying interest from other teams to, you know, squeeze out every dollar he could from the New Orleans Pelicans. He definitely smelled blood in the water and went after them. You know, the Pels really had no choice. They had no leverage when it came to Drew Holiday. If they didn't want to be left at the altar during free agency when point guards started moving around, when Teague was signed, when Rubio was traded, they needed to act fast on Drew Holiday. At a certain point, even though this is an overpay for Drew Holiday's talent and his role and fit with this team, the Pelicans need to keep talent here in New Orleans. And unfortunately, the only way to do that was to sign Drew Holiday to a five-year deal, uh, you know, worth about 25 million a year how good is drew holiday you know i think he can be a very good player he's a formal all-star though that was kind of in a down year for point guards in the eastern conference i think his fit in new orleans is actually worse than it would be on other teams the pelicans now want to run their offense through demarcus cousins they brought in chris finch from the denver nuggets to kind of be their offensive coordinator to kind of run that point boogie which everyone here in new orleans is really excited about and that leaves drew holiday as more or less of a spot-up three-point shooter to space the court which is certainly not worth the contract that he got the thing is he's not a great three-point shooter especially in catch-and-shoot situations where he shoots under 40 percent on the right team if you pair him in a pick-and-roll centered offense I think he can be very good he's maybe in that second tier of point guards in the league maybe the top of the third tier but right now for the money he's getting paid he's not certainly you know a a top 10 point guard in the league it's interesting because I have the pack rating which I use to evaluate offensive players it's my it's you know, my method of, of – and he's a negative pack player. He's a below-average offensive player. The key on me, to me that jumps out, he only, last year he only shot 24% of his shots from three, which is low. He only went to the free throw line 6% of his possessions. It's very hard with those two numbers to be a efficient offensive player. 
especially with with two bigs where he needs to space the court to prevent Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins from both being double teamed. And those are guys who are getting the team into the bonus early, and he's not able to capitalize on that by getting to the line. Where he does really help is on the defensive side of the ball. He's got very good size. He's a very strong player. He can guard multiple positions, potentially out to the small forward spot. And he really was a, uh, an important part of the Pelicans getting a top 10 uh, defensive rating in the league last season. But like you said, offensively, he just doesn't fit in what they're trying to do. All right, so they had no choice to do it. Do we have any idea how good a basketball this team this is with these with Cousins, with Anthony Davis, and with Drew Holiday? And I'm assuming no room to add much of anything else. No, they have the mid-level exception, so about $8.4 million to try and add some more shooting around the bigs, but that's not going to get you that much. I think we all know that. You know, this team is looking at, at in the best-case scenario, a ceiling of the seventh seed in the Western Conference, which is not too great right now, and that's going to be tough to even get that. It's all going to hinge on training camp and these two bigs gelling, and Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. And the returns were mixed after the trade happened in the 17 games they played together. But for a period in March, the Pelicans went 10 and six where it showed maybe this kind of unconventional pairing in the league right now can put it all together where you have Davis kind of uh, spacing the court a little bit for Cousins and Cousins doing the work inside. If Cousins takes a leap as a passer and gets this offense flowing, I think you're looking at a playoff spot, just not a high one. All right, let's get back to the beginning of this and make sure everybody understands this because I think this is the most important aspect of this story. One is they did get it done, as you're saying, under the 175, so they didn't have to go full five-year max. But the second part of this, I think, is what's most important. Had they not signed Drew Holiday, what were they going to do? You know, that's the big question. If Drew Holiday walked or signed somewhere else, all of a sudden the team's looking at only having $13 million in cap room. They didn't really have a whole lot of options. You're looking at maybe trying to stretch Omer Ostrich or dump his contract to make a run at a guy like George Hill to kind of hold your offense in a placeholder scenario for the time being. But they still weren't going to have much money to spend uh, you know, either way. So they were kind of had their backs to the wall and just had to put this offer out there for Drew Holiday. With that said and understanding that, do you call this a win for the Pelicans or a necessary evil? Necessary evil. This is certainly not a win. Like I said, I don't think this fit for Drew Holiday is going to be great here. And I worry about Drew Holiday with a fifth-year player option. All of a sudden, on the back end of this contract, when he's earning close to $30 million a season, you know that's going to be tough to move. Out of all the guys involved in this team, with Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Alvin Gentry, and Dell Demps, the last man standing is probably going to be Drew Holiday just because they're not going to be able to trade him. Jake, continue the great work with Locked on Pelicans. Thanks very much for the uh, insight from the local angle on these big stories. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And before free agency, we actually got the biggest story of all, which was Oklahoma City acquiring Paul George for Victor Oladipo and Sabonis. Uh, There's a lot to this. Fred Katz does just awesome, awesome work with Locked on Thunder. And again, we go down to the local angle to understand the biggest stories here on the Locked on Podcast Network. And let me uh, start, Fred, just how stunned were you uh, when this when this was announced and this came down, I was really surprised. I, I was not. I mean, I, I knew that the Thunder were doing what they could to try to make a big move. They had gotten in a little bit on Jimmy Butler, but there was really no traction there. And they had tried to get in on some other moves, but they hadn't really picked up anything. And I, 
I had written something like a week and a half ago about the possibilities of Paul George and what they could potentially give up in a deal. And I just didn't think that unless there was some scenario in which Indiana really, really valued Victor Oladipo, maybe they wanted him back because he's the University of Indiana guy, or maybe they really value one of their young guys or whatever it was. I thought that was really the only possible way it could happen. And I just figured somebody else would swoop in and give a better offer, whether they valued Kevin Lovemore or whether, you know, Boston was willing to give up picks or whatever it was. And, and I guess that just didn't, didn't quite happen the way that I thought it would. So here's what's the craziest thing to me about this. When I looked at the Thunder and analyzed their cap situation going into free agency and going into the next few years, the thought I had is Presti's got to find a way to get out from under Oladipo's contract. Like if he's got, to me, if there was one goal Sam Presti had to have in the next 12 months, it was to find a way to move Oladipo in a way that rebuilt some flexibility. It's, is it possible that he did that as a key thing and did it while getting Paul George? Well, it was like uh, Tim McMahon from ESPN tweeted out last night. The one, I think he said an executive uh, texted him, this is the best salary dump in the NBA. And, and I, I, I agree with you. I think that's possible. Now, now I don't want to – I think Victor Oladipo is a good player, and I think he's a legitimate contributor. There, He had a pretty good shooting season last year, and he's above-average defensive player, and he can do a little bit with the ball. I think he's a good player. But I do think that contract was a little bit overvalued for him. And I think the Thunder even agreed with that. I mean, the Thunder were really excited about that contract when they signed him to it. You know, back that was an extension that they signed him to way back in the fall. And it wasn't going to kick in until the start of this next season. But I think as the season went on, and they kind of specifically when they saw the fit with him next to Westbrook and kind of how passive he was next to Westbrook and, uh, you know, the free throw rate declining and all those other sorts of things, the, the efficiency just kind of having being capped off because of his inability to get to the line so consist, so inconsistently. Uh, I think with all those things, they saw that they weren't nearly as high on that contract, you know, today or yesterday, I should say, as, uh, as they were at the beginning of the year. And I think part of it was just getting out from under it. I mean, the crazy thing in this deal to me, which is along the same along the same lines of what you're talking about, is that the Thunder are not only getting clearly the best player in the deal, but they also unloaded $4 million of cap room, which is something they need as they approach the luxury tax. So it seems to be, and you're getting out from under that four years of Oladipo as well. So you're clearing salary for 2017-18 and obviously beyond because you're bringing in a, a, a guy who's going to be a free agent in 2018. So they've got a lot, a lot more flexibility uh, today than they did a couple of days ago. Now let's talk about the fit. How do you initially think when you think about this, Paul George fits with Russell Westbrook? You mean on the court? Yes. I kind of think it, it's a really nice fit for them. And I think it's a really nice fit for the team in general, like not just for Westbrook specifically, but for the entire for the entire team. I mean, George, the Pacers use George in a lot of ways where they, they run him off screens, they run him off curls. He's really good catch and shoot. He's a willing catch and shoot guy. He's a great defensive player. I think they could capably, if they end up bringing back Andre Robertson, which I think the trade actually makes them more likely to bring back Andre Robertson in this case, because they always like Robertson as a two-guard next to a big defensive wing, and that's exactly what Paul George is. Now they have that guy. I mean, you can play some really switchy lineups. with. If you end up starting, if they end up starting Westbrook, Robertson, Paul George, Jeremy Grant, and Steven Adams, I mean, that, that, that has the potential for being one of the better certainly one of the most versatile starting lineups defensively in the NBA. And if you put shooters around Westbrook 
I mean, we've seen that if you put shooters around Westbrook, then those pick and rolls are going to work really well with them. Whether I mean, we saw that with Abrinas out there and McDermott out there last year, and now obviously Paul George just adds a completely new element that just blows whatever they had with Abrinas and McDermott completely out of the water. So I think it's something that, that will work really nicely because of George's ability to perform well off the ball, the way that he can take over as a secondary ball handler, the way that they could potentially stagger those two guys. So you don't have those issues that they had last year to nearly the degree they did with Westbrook off the court. I actually think it's one of the better fits that you're going to have because Westbrook doesn't necessarily fit stylistically with every single superstar in the league. I think everybody agrees with that. I think even people on the Thunder are going to agree with you on that point. But I think Paul George is honestly one of the better fits that you're going to have uh, with Russell Westbrook on the court. The I, I look at the West – the Warriors will be top five offensively and defensively. The Spurs will be top five defensively. Rockets will be top five offensively. I actually think the Jazz, if they get Hayward back, could be top five defensively. The Thunder could be top five defensively. The Thunder could be top ten. Where, where If you kind of guessed, looking at the Thunder, with this construction of a team, assuming, uh, as you just did, that Robertson is back, uh, what what they were what I, I have to look at it again. I think they were about middle of the pack offensively last year. They were fairly good defensively. Where do you suspect this puts them offensively and defensively? Yeah, so if we assume Robertson's coming back, I still think they're not quite done. I think they're going to go out and get an upgraded backup point guard. Now I don't think that means like spending the whole mid level or something like that on a backup, but it's not that hard for them to upgrade a backup point guard considering they had arguably the worst backup point guard situation in the league last year. So I think they'll have a little bit of an upgrade there as well. They were 10th in defense last year. And I think it's fair to say their defense just got better. I mean, Paul George, especially when he's going hard, he is, he is as good of a, of a defensive wing as you're really going to have. I mean, he's, he's all defense good. He's, he's that, he's that much of a stopper on the wing. And I think if they were 10th last year, I, I think it's a real plausibility. They're going to be better than that this year defensively. You know, I'd have to really think about it and list out the teams in the top five, but I feel like top five could be possible. And I think they could sneak into the top 10 on offense. You know, after they acquired Taj Gibson last year, so from the trade deadline on, and specifically with Gibson in their starting lineup, they were top 10 in defense and offense after that. And I think that was a little bit misleading because they had, they played some easier teams. So I don't know if they were necessarily that good, but I think if you bring in a guy like Paul George and put him next to it, I, I, I think they're certainly going to be out of the middle of the pack offensively. You've got two guys who are top, what what are they, top 10, top 12 players in the league, depending on where you want to put Paul George in that conversation. I think an offense that has that much talent, if, if they stay healthy and they put it together, I, I could see them sneaking into the top five on offense and maybe the top seven on defense and being one of the five or six, seven best teams in the NBA. I'm not as generous on ranking Paul, Paul George as high as you are, but I'll go with it. Talent-wise might be... Where 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 do you have him? I I'm not a huge Paul George guy. Um, so that oh, I think I'm I I probably value him more than the average person. Yeah. Uh, I've I've always been a really big fan of his game. Uh, I I I think I think cruising through the regular season and lacking a motor are two things that are very difficult to distinguish throughout throughout a year. And he's always been such a good playoff performer that I kind of think that it's just that he has that regular season cruise mode down. Uh, and I, 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 I love his versatility and the way that he's improved his ball handling and, and passing over the last four years. And 
I, I think I think he's great. Okay, so I'm probably not as over the moon with him. One of my problems, honestly, and and it might be exactly what you're talking about, is he has these dog months that are just incredibly bad. You know, he'll go a month shooting 38%. Yeah, no, and, he's he and, is and historically that, streaky, and that to me, uh, that to, like his February last year was thirty nine percent from the field and thirty three percent from three. His November was forty two percent from the field and thirty two percent from three. Like, if that's your main dog, like that's a problem. Now, I guess if you have Westbrook caring, he doesn't have that. Like, I, I that that to me has always those those months have bothered me, right? Like. Here I've got my best guy, and suddenly for an entire month he averages seventeen. You know he averages twenty points a game, and in February he averaged eighteen points a game. Like that to me, that's you know maybe I'm unfair, but that, and that's not uncommon. I don't think. I think if we went back and looked at fifteen, no, I think, sixteen, I think we'd see the same thing. I think that's thing. totally fair. And so to me, that's really I think that's, yeah. separate. In fifteen, sixteen, in December he shot thirty-seven percent. In January he shot forty-one percent. Like th- those are, t- and I don't like field goal percentage, but his field, I don't have effective in front of me. It was 32% from three in that January. Like those are really bad numbers for a guy who's carrying a club. Now he doesn't have to do that with Russell. So maybe it'll be better. But to me, that's where I feel like Jimmy Butler, frankly, Gordon Hayward um, and other similar players are, are a notch above him. When I rank NBA players, not talent wise, there's no question. Six, nine, two twenty body for the end of the world, ability to knock, you know, do things defensively, go one-on-one and beat someone uh, are real. And, uh, and, he, and, and I do think he, when watching him last year, I certainly thought he was shot hunting in a way that was not conducive to being a teammate. If he does that this next year with Russell, then this thing falls apart in an ugly fashion because then you got two shot hunters. Uh, but otherwise, I, you know, the, he, otherwise I think he's – you know, I just don't think – I guess I wouldn't just call him top 10, but I think he's probably top 20, so you're probably maybe top 25. So then he's – you're still great, right? Like you've still got two fabulous players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, two top 15, top 25 guys is still still pretty darn good. Right. And, uh, you know, what? I, I, think, I think the inconsistency criticism is completely fair. Uh, I think what the Thunder believe, though, is that in a lot of those scenarios, you know, you talk about him as a top guy and – and you, you know, those numbers as a top guy, it's, it's hard to be, to be considered as great as you're saying that I'm saying that he is as a top guy. And when you're putting up those inconsistent numbers, and I, I, I do think that's a completely fair argument. And I actually agree with that. That being said, you kind of alluded to this just now. He's not a top guy right now. I mean, this is I, what's interesting about this from Westbrook's perspective is that until this past year, the Thunder were never Westbrook's team. It was always Kevin Durant's team. Now he's bringing in another superstar, and he kind of established this as his team last year. He's, he's the alpha in this situation. And I think with Paul George, I mean, he's going to have more spot-up opportunities than he had with the Pacers when he was going off the dribble a lot and having to create for himself a lot and isolating a decent amount. And, and that's kind of Westbrook's thing now. If, if Paul George is going to isolate a ton, then, then I don't really think this is going to work because you're going to have an offense that's just going to have too much isolation in it. So I agree with you. I mean, then, then you're kind of going back to the, the Westbrook, Kevin Durant style of offense that they had before, maybe even more so because Westbrook isolated more that, this past year than he did even before that. And you're doing it with player who isn't as good as Kevin Durant. So 
I'm with you. If that's what happens, then that's your problem. But I think the Thunder envision a scenario in which Paul George is running off the screen. He's spreading the floor. He's putting up shots. He's a secondary offensive option. And if Paul George is just like your super second option, I mean, where does he rank amongst the best second options in the league? That's got to be super high. I mean, you've got, you know, Durant Curry as a two-sum. You've got now Paul Harden as a two-sum. Uh, I'm probably forgetting, you know, I guess LeBron Kyrie. Uh, maybe I'm forgetting one other one other one there. But, I mean, that's got to be one of the three, four, five best twosomes in the league. And I think if Paul George is your second option, you might have him in a situation where it might take away some of those those flaws, some of that streakiness, just because the shot selection is going to be better and stuff's going to be more in rhythm. That's if you're doing it right, of course. If they're out of rhythm and they're just kind of running a your turn, my turn offense, then it's not going to look nearly as good. I agree with everything you just said. I back it up with some numbers. He's a 42% catch-and-suit three-point guy. Uh, the number we have not brought up that I think is important that we probably should is how terrible Oklahoma City was last year with Westbrook off the floor. So if they stagger the minutes correctly, now you've got – George, who's actually one of the best pick-and-roll players in the NBA, I think he was 92 percentile on synergy in pick-and-roll. And if he's, if you suddenly have him you know, carrying you in the minutes where Westbrook's off the floor, that's where the Thunder will be most improved. And the biggest issue of all, they didn't give anything up. They salary-dumped and gave up a draft pick I'm not sold on at all. They got Paul George for a year on something that gives them great financial freedom in the future that they had to have, and if for some crazy reason they're able to keep him away from Los Angeles, then they really got something out of this. It's a great deal for Oklahoma City. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I was so surprised by it. It's amazing. I'm here at Orlando Summer League right now in the Magic's practice gym right now, and it's like all anybody was talking about today. I mean, granted, people know I cover the Thunder, so people are going to come up to me and talk about the Thunder if that's the thing, but there was a different verve about it today than when people normally bring up anything. And it seemed to be all anybody was talking about, just how the heck, how the heck did Sam Presti do this? How did he pull this one off? You know, somebody, somebody texted me who's an executive who works for, works for a team. This person texted me as soon as the trade was, was over something along the lines of like, how does he, how does Presti continue to pull off these lopsided deals? And he kind of did it to Chicago before he did it to Orlando and then he basically kind of just flipped what he got from Orlando for Serge Ibaka. He basically just flipped that without, you know, the remnants of Jeremy Grant too, still keeping Jeremy Grant. He, he just flipped that and got at least one year of Paul George, likely only one year of Paul George. But like we said, they probably made a mistake with that Oladipo contract. And, uh, but you know what, at the same time, if you want to be an optimistic person, the Paul George trade doesn't happen if they don't offer Oladipo the extension, right? Because now he's, and restricted free agency otherwise, and maybe a team like Brooklyn is just going to try to blow a deal through the roof, and then you end up losing him for nothing because you don't want to match on an $84 million contract over four years, and maybe you're forced to, and then you're stuck with a contract that you don't quite want, a la Ennis Cantor or something like that when he signed the offer sheet with Portland. So this might also be a little bit off topic, but this might also be a lesson to extend your rookie guys. You very rarely regret it extending those rookie guys as as you might know with from gordon hayward's situation it's a good point fred katz great work all the way across locked on thunders the show big stories local angles on the ground with the teams knowing more about what's going on than anyone else great work thank you very much appreciate it immensely thanks for having me 
So there you go. The biggest stories of the NBA from the local angles, courtesy of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure you've signed up for your favorite team's Locked On Podcast Network show. And remember, whenever the big stories break, if you want the local angle, go grab them. On your Locked On NBA channel, you can subscribe and get all of them and be up to date on everyone in the league at the Locked On NBA channel. Or you can go just search for whichever it is. The Jazz, the Heat, the Celtics. All are on our focus on the Gordon Hayward search, and we'll keep an eye on the other big deals as they come down. There'll be multiple Locked on NBA episodes coming out this week. Subscribe on iTunes, and we'd love a five-star review. Brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app now. Use the promo code LOCKED, and you get a $20 rebate. This has been Locked on NBA, the biggest stories from the local angles on the Locked on Podcast Network.